Hi there. Welcome back to Romanticy, a podcast created by Dipsy. I'm your host, Faye Keaton. This week, we're listening to the seventh episode of Wings of Winter, and this episode is titled Master and Apprentice. In previous episodes, in episode five, I think, we see Rowan use his magical powers to sort of amp up uh, the spice between them. But in this episode, the tables have turned. As writers, these two characters were so fun (laughs) to play with um, and bring together because they're both so powerful and arrogant and dominant in their own ways. And we can play with that power and that competitiveness, um, but also that trust and that alliance, both in their banter and in the plot and, of course, in the sex. The episode starts with the human in a position she doesn't like, which is one of a student, one of having to listen and to learn to people who know more than her. Up until now, she has been so confident and cocky and dominant, um, even in situations where she should be afraid and meek uh, and maybe more cowed by the uh, magical beings around her. But here she has to sort of listen and learn. Um, and she clearly does not like it. It's a tough spot for her as a character. And so by the end of the episode, when she's gotten a bit more dexterity and learned enough, she takes the opportunity to sort of reseize some of that power and control from Rowan. This is one of those episodes where it's just really fun to be writing, to be erotic storytellers in the fantasy genre, where we can take this kind of classic, um, sexy power dynamic of of master and apprentice and sort of this competitive, like, student becomes um, a master herself and sort of amp it up with some special magical powers and be unconstrained by the rules of the actual universe we live in. As a reminder, if you don't want to wait for us to drop the next episode, or if you want to listen to the over a thousand other spicy audio stories we've made, you can listen to them all right now on the Dipsy app. You can use code ROMANTICY to get 30 days free at dipsystories.com. That's D-I-P-S-E-A-S-T-O-R-I-E-S dot com slash romanticy to get 30 days free right now. But here it is, episode seven of Wings of Winter, Master and Apprentice. First, you need to close your eyes and steady your breath, I said. If you are to conjure magic, you need to be totally and completely focused. It would be a lot easier for me to focus if it didn't feel like my bones were freezing into icicles. I'm not exactly happy that the only place I can train you is a hundred miles into the mountains in our kingdom's longest ever winter. But if you're going to survive the gleaning, you'll need some new advantages. So do you want me to teach you how to use magic or not, human? Fine, you huffed, your breath steaming as it hit the air. You slumped to the frozen ground, sitting cross-legged in your snow leathers and furs. I had to hold back a smile. How was it that you made even the simplest actions seem so obstinate? Happy now, Rowan? You asked me, squeezing one eye slightly open. Very much so, I growled. After you narrowly and miraculously avoided death in the last challenge, I was desperate for a way to keep you safe. My father couldn't outright kill you, not now that you had garnered such a following. You were the first human to make it this far into the gleaning, and my father had received news that the southern kingdom was celebrating your success and 
even feeling hopeful that the seasons might finally return after all. This was all intensified by the fact that you were now linked to me, after I'd very foolishly kissed you inside the challenge ring. A human and a royal. The realm was in absolute upheaval over it. Rumors were swirling, and my father was very, very unhappy. I was certain he would make sure that you saw your end in the next challenge. So I summoned Hawthorne to one of the tunnels beneath the castle so that we could speak in private. And once there, I proceeded to persuade, well more like barter, for safe passage to one of the abandoned witch cabins high in the mountains. There, we would be able to train for the next challenge in relative safety. Hawthorne had been reticent, well more than reticent. She had flat out refused at first. She called you a thief, a liar, and a traitor. You had stolen her amulet in the first challenge. I couldn't deny it. But I pushed. I fought for you. I knew it was your only chance at survival. I revealed that after the last challenge, I'd begun to suspect that you might be a halfling. The entire crowd had watched as you drove your sword through the sea serpent's mouth, but only I knew that it had been my magic flowing through you that had given you the strength to defeat the immortal beast. What happened? It simply wasn't possible for a human. That kind of transference of power was only possible between immortals. And you'd long ago revealed to me that the identity of your father had always been mysterious. So it wasn't entirely unreasonable to think that perhaps he had been some kind of fae. Hawthorne mused that if you were a halfling you might possess some unique powers and I agreed. And I pointed out that it would make you a powerful ally. She insisted that you'd need to train in order to be helpful. Magic was useless and at worst downright dangerous and less honed. In the end, Hawthorne's curiosity won out over her disdain for you, and she agreed to let us use the mountain cabin, but she made no promises about helping train you. The first night in the cabin was tense. We'd made very little progress on your magic. In fact, I'd spent most of the day just trying to get you to sit still and close your eyes. And Hawthorne had carefully avoided us both all day. But by the time the sun dipped below the ice cap peaks, we were all ravenous and there was no possible way to avoid each other. Hawthorne was sitting in front of the hearth with a very tall goblet of mead, drinking deeply as she stared into the flames. There's bread by the pantry, she hissed, without turning to face us. And for a moment, I wondered if her lineage was not only ancient witch, perhaps the woman was also part blizzard cat. What's your problem? You asked Hawthorne, and I froze, not even daring to breathe. I suspected the question might send the two of you into violence. When the quiet was finally broken, it was by Hawthorne's laughter as icy as a mountain storm. My problem, human, she sneered, is that you stole my amulet out from under me during the first challenge. You crossed your arms defensively and pursed your lips. I never would have taken it if I thought you wouldn't survive. Do you take me for a fool, human? I think we both know that you are a survivor, not a martyr. You would have left me for dead if it helped you get ahead. I slowly cut into the loaf of bread. I was desperate to stay out of the unfolding argument. My involvement was sure to only escalate whatever tensions were already brewing. You would do the same, Hawthorne, you said levelly. A lifetime of winter forces you to find ways to survive. I am only trying to win back seasons for my people. Then... Your voice softened. I'm truly sorry you were caught in my crosshairs, but I thought you'd be fine. 
and you were. Hawthorne finally turned from the fire and fixed her dark gaze upon you. Do you think I don't want the same human? My people, too, wish to see the return of seasons. Without spring, it's difficult for us to grow the herbs we use to heal. You speak to me of healing, of magic, you said. But my people are starving. I am not your enemy, human, Hawthorne said. Then who is, you said. Hawthorne's eyes glanced over at me quickly, then back to you. It's clear that Rowan's father has no intention of ending this cruel winter. He cares not about his kingdom, only of control. He's the one we should be fighting against, she said. You did not seem surprised at her words. Those words would be enough to have any of my father's subjects executed without a trial, without a second thought. But you just looked at her, chin up, respect flickering in your eyes, and nodded, once, in agreement. Hawthorne sighed, but agreed. We meet at dawn to train, human. You have much to learn. The three of us gathered outside the cabin just as the sun was stretching over the mountaintops. The sky was deceptively blue and clear. It was bitterly cold. My acorn tea had frozen as soon as I stepped outside. Sit, human, Hawthorne said. The ground is cold, you replied. I said sit. Fine, you huffed obeying Hawthorne's order. Magic, Hawthorne said, is related to the elements. Fire, earth, water, and air. To channel magic, you must be in touch with the energy of those elements. Fire is passionate, angry, and lustful. It's explosive and intuitive, and its most powerful wielders are such. Earth is related to strength, confidence, and determination. It's steadying and grounding. Water is a healing, fluid, cool, and slippery sort of magic. It dances on the fingertips, rushes swiftly, and can move mountains in time. Wind helps with flight and levitation and has a delicate whisper to it almost. It tickles. Even if you do not know how to use your magic, it exists inside of you, inside your bones. All I'm here to do is to help you access it. You might wield all or none of these elements. We do not yet know. Now, close your eyes, Hawthorne instructed. Not this again, you groaned. Unlike Rowan, I've taught before, I'm good at it. So shut up and trust me. You raised an eyebrow, but seemed more amused than angry. Thankfully, you then closed your eyes. Hawthorne sat in front of you and closed her eyes too. She said, Let's start with fire. It's one of the easiest to master. Then Hawthorne magicked a small fire. It burned in the ground between you, its enchanted flames resistant to the wind whipping all around us. Now, human, I want you to think of a memory that makes you mad. A time when you felt filled with red-hot anger. Now tell me. I'm thinking of the royal guards taking provisions from my family. Good, Hawthorne said. Let the anger fill your body. Now open your eyes and look at the flames and imagine them growing higher. She opened her eyes too. The fire flickered. And for a moment I thought it might go out entirely and I suddenly feared that I had let my hope of you being a halfling cloud my judgment. But then, the flames turned blue and orange and started to rapidly expand. Your eyes widened in fear and surprise, but 
Before anyone's hair was singed, Hawthorne quickly whipped some air magic over all of us to shield us as the fire exploded up into a high column of flame. It burned hot and fierce for less than a few human breaths. Then it went out. You both sat looking at the blackened pit between you. Holy shit, Hawthorne cackled. This might actually be fun. We spent the next three days tirelessly training you. Each morning we woke at dawn and left the safety and warmth of cabin for the brutal cold of the mountain forest. There we tested and drilled you, putting you through challenges related to each element. You were powerful and untrained, nearly setting the forest on fire. Twice. But you struggled in the role of student. It wasn't in your nature to follow orders or to be respectful for that matter. And you clearly smarted under the tutelage of Hawthorne, even though you knew it was necessary. We also trained in combat. I taught you how to use the new fey weapons, how to kill an immortal, and I helped with the magic training, trying and failing to recreate the channeling we'd done in the ring. By the time we would return back to kitchen for dinner, my muscles ached with a deep tiredness I had not felt in years. And at night, we fell into a sleep so deep as if we had drunk a sleep potion, drained of our magic and our concentration. It had been a week since we'd had any privacy, and I could tell both our bodies yearned for it. But Hawthorne's bedroom shared a thin wooden wall with ours, and I'd put her through enough already. She didn't need to hear us making love. We would have snuck outside, but that was equally treacherous. Wondering about frostbite during sex was hardly romantic. By the third night, my body was aching for you. It was hard to even be close to you. Even the slightest brush of your skin against mine sparked a hunger for you almost too wild to control at dinner that night. Hawthorne was in a particularly good mood. She pulled out an ancient-looking bottle of mead, and we passed it around, not bothering with glasses or goblets. The mead was strong, very strong. I felt the spice liquid heating up my bones from the very first sip. By midnight, Hawthorne was passed out snoring loudly in front of the fire. When it was clear she wouldn't wake until morning, you grabbed my hand and said there was something you wanted to show me outside. No part of me wanted to venture back out into that snowy hellscape. I'd already frozen my bones enough that day, but you insisted, and lately I was finding myself increasingly powerless to your requests. You led me behind the house into a dense, dark grove of silver pines. I wasn't sure where you were taking me, and for a moment I wondered if it was wise to trust a human or halfling who'd had as much meat as I had. I was halfway to believing you'd changed your mind about me and were leading me into the forest to push me off a cliff or feed me to a hungry pack of sky wolves. When we emerged into a clearing in the center of which there was a small pool reflecting the silver light of the moon, you had shocked me many times at that point, when you stole the dagger and then the amulet, when you defeated the sea serpent unscathed, when I realized I loved you, a human warrior. In fact, I was getting quite used to being surprised by you. But when you began to take off your clothes, I felt myself more stunned than ever. 
What in the name of the holy gods and hellfire are you doing, human? I sputtered. You're going to freeze to death. Oh, relax, Rowan, you said. Then for the second time that night, you shocked me by diving into the water. I was getting ready to jump in after you. Surely you would drown in the freezing waters, but when you broke the surface, you were smiling devilishly at me and steam had begun to curl up around you. What? How did you... I asked, barely able to get out my thought. I thought we both could use a soak. So I found a pool for us today and I'm using my firepower to turn the water warm. You are fucking incredible, I growled. I pulled my furs over my head and I felt you watching me. Clearly you were as ravenous for me as I was for you. Then I quickly unlaced my leathers. The air hit me like daggers, but when I stepped into the hot water any feeling of cold was melted away. I closed my eyes, letting the heat seep into my aching muscles. It penetrated the deep tired of my wings, and I thought for a moment. Perhaps you were neither human or halfling. No, you were some kind of angel. You swam across the pool to me, and I drew you into my arms. You wrapped your legs around my waist and your arms around my neck. Then you kissed my shoulder softly, and my desire roared like a dragon disturbed. I've missed you so fucking much. I murmured. Me too, you whispered. I thought I was going to lose you in the last challenge, I admitted. I took your face into my hands and kissed you softly. I pulled away for a moment, looking deeply into your eyes. I can't ever lose you, I said. Then I kissed you harder, my mouth crushing against yours with all the force of my pent-up desire. I nibbled at your bottom lip. And when I tangled my tongue with yours, you still tasted like the mead deliciously sweet and spicy. We shifted so that we were at the edge of the pool, but not once did I let go of you. Our bodies were knotted together in such a way that it was hard to tell where you started and I began. I kissed your neck, sucking on the skin, and sliding my mouth to your ear and you grinded yourself against the hard muscle of my thigh. The sound of our shared pleasure echoed through the quiet woods. You whimpered when I slid my fingers between your lips and I moaned when I found you wet there for me. You took my cock into your hand, stroking me as I circled your clit with my thumb. The pleasure was so overwhelming, so intense, I leaned my head back and let out a guttural sound. I'd never wanted something or someone so badly in my entire immortal life. An animal feeling overcame me then. All my patience evaporated like the steam curling above the surface of the spring. I dug my fingers into the soft skin of your hips and lifted you so you were positioned above my cock. Then I pushed your hips down, sliding you onto me. You moaned in shocked pleasure, your eyes rolling back, then closing. You rode me slowly at first, getting used to the size of me, and the restraint it took was enough to shatter me. My cock throbbed as you slid down on me, and I held on to you to help push you deeper. You began moving faster, setting a delicious rhythm. 
Your breasts bounced as you moved and I couldn't help myself. I drew one into my mouth, sucking on your nipple so deeply I knew it would bruise. It created an even deeper hunger for you that I needed to sate. My magic was strong, heightened by lust. I lit a ring of fire on the shore of the spring so we could get out of the water without freezing to death. You crawled gracefully onto one of the large rocks at the edge of the water, then leaned back on it, spreading your body open for me, daring me to come closer. Time seemed to slow for a moment. The light of my fire flickered across your stomach and legs, making your skin glow with immortal incandescence. If you want me, come and get me, Rowan. You purred. Oh, you really shouldn't taunt me, human. I hoisted myself out of the water, shaking off the droplets, then lunged towards you. You screamed with excited delight, and we tumbled and wrestled to the ground. In just a few days, the magic coursing through you had made you stronger. But eventually, I managed to pin you to the earth. I pressed my full weight against you. Then I slid into you, filling you slowly and deeply. You whimpered, and the sound filled me with a desire so intense my wings released, unfolding to their full expanse. I began to push inside you, pummeling you with hard, deep thrusts as I slid my hand under you so you could grind against me as I filled you. I drove into you over and over until my cock was throbbing with a pressure I could not ignore. And when you finally came, I exploded inside you, pleasure rolling through both of us at the exact same time. I rolled off your back and pulled you onto my heaving chest. We breathed heavily. It took a long, long time to catch our breath. When we'd finally settled, I noticed that your skin was scratched from the ground. Do you mind if I try healing those? I asked softly. You... Fuck me senseless on the ground, and then you ask if it's all right to heal the scratches. You asked me, laughing loudly. I laughed too, then focused my breath. It had been years since I'd really done any healing, but I wanted to try for you. I placed my hands over your body and focused, using the very little remaining magic I had left to soothe each tiny cut and scratch. You sighed with a contented pleasure, and I was filled with a tender pride. Once you were healed, I gathered you into my arms and pulled us back into the soothing hot spring you'd created. Halfling or not, you were the most magical being I'd ever encountered. And for a moment, I found myself wishing we could stay within the safety of the mountain pass forever.